All right. I see what they say about the, oh, here we go. Now's the party, it's only one chart. Um, hey everybody, I'm welcome, you guys, I'm happy you guys are here to be a part of this panel. When we talk about FOS4G and the federal agencies, and why this is important, you know, I'm a little different than a lot of people in this room. I didn't grow up with the geospatial background. I came into NGA and then I learned all these things and learned a lot about this and became, I loved it and learned it. So this is important to me. And so we have a great panel. You'll see that um, one person's not there. Jason's not here today. He got a little sick. He might have COVID, I don't know what he has, so he could not be here. And we felt it'd be good that he didn't show up. So he's not here. So we have a, but even without Jason, we have a great, um, we have a great panel and I'll let them introduce themselves actually. I'll start from Nate and go from that and work our way in. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. So Nate France, uh, I have a couple jobs. Uh, so 18 years at the Geospatial Research Lab. That's Army Corps of Engineers uh, Engineer Research and Development Center. Uh, done a lot of uh, R&D there, uh, mostly focused around mobile application development, uh, um, dismounted routing, uh, a few other things, APNT, assured positioning, et cetera. Um, also work uh, with the Army Geospatial Center. So I, I work with their standards team there for development and um, integration with Army systems. Uh, and then also uh, a couple years ago, started working with the TAC Product Center. So you're, if you're not familiar with TAC, it's the team awareness kit on the civilian side uh, or on the military side, it's the uh, tactical assault kit. So if you've seen soldiers walking around with uh, a smartphone on their chest, that's the TAC software at the core of that. Uh, and there I am the product owner for TACX, which is the desktop and mounted uh, platforms. Thanks. Hi everyone, I'm Emily Vitarich. I'm a geographer at the Census Bureau. Um, currently I'm working as the project manager for the Geographic Update Partnership Software, or GUPS, which is an application that um, has a standalone as well as now a web-based application that's solely built using open source. Hello, my name is Daniela Bright. You meet you. Hello, my name is Amanda Bright. I am a mathematician masquerading as a data scientist at NGA, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Uh, I've bounced around throughout the agency. Uh, I've ran a couple programs that implement computer vision into NGA's mapping missions. Uh, at the moment, I am building data pipelines uh, and algorithmic solutions to our analyst teams. Yeah. Hi, my name is Steve Mather. I'm, I'm the one non-federal person up here. I spent uh, 20 years in the public sector, um, both on the academic and uh, park side of, of things. Um, spent the last couple of years at Oberlin College and then just recently uh, became full-time at Open Drone Map. So focused on photogrammetry tool, tool chains uh, for drones, surface vehicles, and, and uncrewed aircraft. All right, thank you. And one thing I wanted to say about our panel, right? We got people from NGA, we got civilian census, we got military, we got a little bit of everything on the panel. So when we get to answer these questions, we get it, we'll get responses from a lot of different points of views. So the first question goes in, it's real simple. It sounds funny, but I had a conversation and a lot of people answered a little different. To all you guys is, what is, what is open source, right? Like everybody has a different definition. I know I talked to my Esri, they had a different answer than people maybe in this room today. So and why is it beneficial for the government? I'll start for you, maybe. 
So to speak specifically uh, on the TAC side, uh, to, to us, open source is really about access. Um, so with TAC, it's, uh, we, two years ago, we decided to open source the TAC core libraries. It's up on GitHub. Um, that was a significant event for us. It did a couple things. Obviously, we had to get public distribution to do that. Um, but we work closely uh, with, with our state, local, uh, and federal agencies um, within the, the TAC product center. Um, so we field to the FBI, uh, DHS, Border Patrol, uh, Department of Interior, um, really across all those spectrums, including our foreign military partners. Um, and so for us, open source is really about access to our product. Um, so right now we're, we're really experiencing a hyper growth um, paradigm within TAC. We're, we're growing beyond our means uh, with the adoption of, of the capability and, and, and the mapping engine that, that is the core of TAC. Um, and open sourcing that was, was critical for us to be able to uh, give access to all of our, our national and and foreign military partners. So from a census perspective, I guess open source to us, and especially the program and project that I work on, GUPS, um, open source is having a software and components to that software that are freely accessible um, and able to be modified with the source code. For us, with the GUPS program, we support around 12 participant programs, and those participant programs support the census. So with our GUPS program, we had our supporting software um, for the 2020 census we're building right now for 2030. So it's really important for us to have that flexibility with open source to be able to modify what we need to get done for each one of these participant programs in a way that our participants and our stakeholders need. Um, in terms of how it's beneficial for us, it allows the Census Bureau to provide um, a GIS solution to our partners, so that's state, local, and federal government agencies, as well as our tribal partners. We are able to provide a software for them that's free to use. So I think that's really the benefit for us, is being able to provide access to them if they don't have access to those proprietary softwares. Um, so I would say from NGA's perspective, the definition of uh, open source geospatial software is pretty consistent with what we've heard so far. Really what it is is an opportunity for us to be able to take a low risk approach to try out new things. Uh, a, you know, a brand new analyst, a brand new scientist walking in the door, it's a lot less daunting to have to, you know, to be able to build, uh, you know, a simple software, a simple tool than it is to, you know, request some very large budget in order to procure the software that they're looking for. Uh, it's also a way for us to implement truly custom solutions to our problems, whether that is, you know, a specific workflow or just a new way to process data. Uh, and then lastly, it's also an invaluable medium for us to be able to share with the community, whether that be with a small business that we want to start, you know, lowering the barrier of entry for them to work with us, to, you know, the students at universities, to even, you know, attracting interns uh, that can kind of start in day one and be able to, you know, work on some of our problems. I'm not sure what to add to all that, so I'll just uh, I'll, I'll give an I'll give an anecdote from, you know, in in, in the space of whether it's whether it's uh, you know federal agencies, whether it's whether it's um, governments around the world, or whether it's NGOs. One of the challenges is matching the software ecosystem to the to the sustained mission of the organization, and um, as the software ecosystems mature, we realize that something may be offered for a while and then disappear. A service may appear and disappear. There's vendor lock-in. There's, there's challenges associated with 
exporting all your expertise and all your software outside the organization. And one thing that I think that free and open source software affords agencies and non-governmental organizations, et cetera, is that capacity to have, to own um, part of that capacity in-house and to not uh, be subject to the same level of vendor lock-in. All right. Thank you for that. And this question is just for Renee. I know you talked about tech, right? And the open source portion of it. What are issues, pros and cons of, you know, with the open source in your program? Like, how does that, what are the, yeah, what are the pros and cons to that? Yeah, so for the pros, um, there's no question that um, just the, the the ability for us to integrate the libraries that we use. So right now within the TAC kernel or TAC core product um, across all of the TAC product lines. So if, again, if you're not familiar, TAC, TAC is um, a, multi, a multitude of, of software products. We have iTAC, ATAC, Android TAC, uh, WebTAC, uh, TACX now, uh, WinTAC, et cetera. So across all those uh, uh, software capabilities, we have integrated uh, a number of open source libraries, including uh, GDAL or Google, um, Proj and Geos being the primary ones. And so what that does is it allows us to have a standard product across all of the product lines, um, which is absolutely critical uh, within the DOD and military, especially if you're talking about coordinate conversion. Um, if, you know, if I do a coordinate conversion in one program, it needs to align uh, across all those product lines. So, so the pros are, are really just having a standard product and for on the developer side, so so TAC is a, a plug-in architecture. So what we do is we create the core product uh, and allow industry uh, and other government agencies to come in and develop plugins. Uh, and in doing so, all of our API calls are to those core open source libraries, which is really critical. So we can again have a standard uh, plug-in API relatively standard plug-in plug API across all the product lines. Um, so it eases development too, which of course lowers cost. Uh, on the cons, uh, not many, but what I would say is I, I'm still not convinced that we have a open source license that fits the government model, um, specifically with continuous delivery. So we have an, a pretty big issue right now. So we're GPL v3, nothing wrong with the license. It's a great license. Um, but for us to be able to to put that into our CI and CD pipelines and our DevSecOps stack, um, it's very difficult because we have to have a human in the loop uh, at some point to be able to push the public release button. Um, so we have lags in us pushing out our product line out to out to GitHub in this case. Um, so that's that's kind of the, a con for us. Uh, I, I'm not a license expert, um, so I wouldn't know how to fix that. Uh, or DevSecOps experts, I wouldn't really know how to fix that. We are working on it, uh, but there's definitely um, some some things that we need to figure out. And, and maybe it is a kind of a government-specific license or an extension of a license that enables us to to be able to to push some of this out. And, and be able to just keep up with the, the word of the letter of the license itself, which is where we, we get a little trouble. Yeah. And actually, I'm glad you brought up the licenses. And this is something that I, like any program, it could be geospatial or in IT, whatever, there's always been issues or questions about open source versus proprietary, COTS, forgot. So my new, my next question, and I'll target this for Amanda and Emily, mm -hmm. you know, how does, <clears throat> How does open source geospatial tools, or you say any tools, um, compare with their their counterparts, their proprietary counterparts, parts, COTS and GOTS, in terms of capability, reliability? I'll let either one of you guys jump in on that. Bad. Um, 
So as far as capabilities and reliability, I think there isn't a huge gap between one or the other. I think a lot of it is more user preference. Uh, I think as far as open source, it definitely has more versatility. If you can imagine it, I think you can build it with open source software. Uh, but it can have kind of a higher lift, uh, especially up front. You need to have the expertise to be able to build it. Um, and I think that is, that is a challenge that you know I'm sure we'll get into some more. I think Amanda stole everything I wanted to say, right? Uh, what she just said. Right? Yeah, right. What she just said. Um, no, I, I totally agree. I think they're on the same level in terms of functionality. I do agree as well. You know that that lift at the start. You don't have as many resources behind you that some proprietary softwares would have. Um, but right, the flexibility is there, the flexibility to be able to make it your own and use the libraries that are available to you to your advantage. I think that's huge. Um, you know, and sometimes with proprietary softwares, you're limited by what's already there. But with open source, you have the opportunity to do something new or something different with what you have. And um, again, Amanda said the creativity, if you can dream it, you can more than likely do it. So that sounded way too motivational. But um, <laughs> it, it's there, you know, if you can if you can develop it, I think you have a high possibility that it can get done. Here. And I love on this one little antidote. I don't know who I'm not going I don't know who takes credit for it. So if someone in this room, I'm still in what you told me before. Um, they talk about like the difference between like COTS versus open source, right? And the little antidote is like Coke versus Pepsi, whereas Coke is free being open source and Pepsi's like a lot of money, you gotta pay a lot of money for it. So I just remember someone told me that in the beginning that it really resonated with me. All right, so we'll go on to the next question. What strategies can the, can the government employ to effectively collect, integrate, and adopt open source data to enhance their decision-making processes and drive innovations? I'll talk, start off with you, sir. Yeah, I think it's stunning. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew I was next. I just Open source data yeah. integration. Um, well, I think we've seen some good examples in, in, in the presentations that we've seen so far today. I think one of the, one of the things that, um, that I've specialized in over my career has been connecting the gaps. So we've got, we've got really great, um, from, from the 1970s onward, we have, we have really great uh, readily available satellite imagery, and that, that's only gotten better through time. I think one thing that we don't yet close the gap on is high-resolution data and tasking high-resolution data. So how do we ensure that we do change detection? How do we find the opportunities for gathering higher-resolution data when we need it, whether that's disasters, whether that's just uh, uh, ephemeral changes through time? And I think um, that's, that's a pattern and a, a challenge and an opportunity uh, for governments, NGOs, and, and for, uh, for, for regular folk uh, across the world. So I think that's one place. All right, cool. Nate? Uh, tough one. Uh, governance and money. So <laughs> just need a little bit more money. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> this one's tough. On the DOD side, uh, obviously we deal with uh, classified networks quite a bit. Yeah. Even if it's at the uh, classified or excuse me, the controlled unclassified level. Um, 
So for us, it, it really is, is just trying to leverage um, some of the cross-domain capabilities that exist so, and, and, and try to understand where more could exist. So right now we're working with DARPA uh, on a program called SHARE. Um, it's, it's fairly limited, but the DARPA SHARE program is, is uh, expanding our cross-domain capabilities so we, so we can pass information uh, up and down the chain. Um, so you know, right now we, we every heavily leverage uh, OpenStreetMap data and GNOME data uh, once it goes into a tax system, it, it, that, that's that's it. It's a one way. It's a one way street. Um, so we, you know, we've got to continue to to figure out ways to to provide governance to be able to push data back down. Um, and 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 I think a big part of that's going to be cloud native. Um, so I think for the open source uh, folks here is is we've got to really start to to focus on a more cloud native environment. So we spent you know most of the 2010s and 2000s uh, working on the DIL environment, so disconnected intermittent limited bandwidth, um, which is a, a big problem that, that the DoD still you know strives to fix. But as that gets better, which it is getting better, um, we've got to have uh, the ability to be able to push things back up to a, a cloud-native capability. Okay. And I got to add on to it a little bit from Jason because he's texting me now. I'm with his responses. <laughs> um, so I'm going to try to do this real time. But one thing you did mention is with the, um, the data, he mentioned, you know, uh, just getting the, the environment more used to, like, application like OpenStreetMap, right? Because, like, the information that's an OpenStreetMap, there's still so much information, so much intelligence from that. Just seeing what's there and incorporating it in there, it might not be the final answer. It might not it might not use that for your sole decision, but it goes to incorporate and enhance your mission, your, your decision-making processes. So, thanks, Jason. All right. <laughs> All right, this next question, I'm actually going to ask everybody this. So this one, like, what challenges has government agencies faced, i.e. misconceptions, in adopting open source software and how they overcome that? Right, so I'm going to, who am I going to start with on this one? I am going to start with Amanda. Let's go Amanda today. Um, so I would say the biggest challenge for open source software may not be very different than the challenge to getting adoption of any new software is really has a lot to do with culture. You know, when you have a team that has been using the same software, the same workflows for, you know, 20 years, introducing uh, a new product can be can be very difficult, especially when there's not the expertise um, to use that or, you know, the time they feel to learn a new software. Um, so, huge challenge, and I think that it is definitely not a solved problem, but there have been a lot of inroads made. Uh, there have been a lot of champions for open source software. You'll hear from a couple of them later. Um, and, you know, I'm always very impressed by, you know, the new analysts and the new scientists coming in at kind of the backgrounds that they have and the, you know, extraordinary, you know, efforts they have gone through, you know, to get these into their own workflows and to share them out. Emily? Sure. So one of the big things um, at the census was getting the approvals that we needed. So, you know, we are trying to move away from proprietary software. So getting those approvals and the buy-in from everyone involved to move to open source um, kind of was was a little hard at first. Um, there's also some mistrust when it comes with open source. You know, you're you're used to wear, using a certain software, um, like Amanda said. You know, trying to 
point people in another direction may may cause them to mistrust what we're trying to do, um, especially when it comes to security, making sure that you know these open source softwares uh, make sure that the federal space is able to meet those security needs that it need um, needs to enact with those open source softwares. And then um, I guess the the one other challenge is getting the full support. So like I said, you need approvals, but there's a lot of people involved in creating softwares and creating um, systems and applications, and you need to make sure that everyone's on board before you move full steam ahead. Um, I will say that in overcoming that, you know, the big thing is just kind of showing them what can be done. I guess I wrote on my notes here, and it's kind of cheesy, but the proof is in the pudding. You know, like if you can use your open source software to do something, um, you need to kind of show what can be done in order to make people believe and make people jump on board as to what you can use that open source open source software for. Yeah, I, th I think it's education. Uh, unfortunately, still at this 2023, we're still here. Um, so still, I have a lot of senior leaders that, that just need to understand uh, the difference between software and acquisition. Um, that's the biggest thing with us. Uh, you know, free, free isn't free, uh, and acquisition cost or acquisition cost. Um, and so, to, you know, it, it, not always, but a lot of times, I, th I think the software costs um, are, are drastically minimized by the acquisition and sustainment process, particularly within Army systems. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll field software for a decade or more. Um, and, you know, so in that, the, the, the cost of the software isn't, you know, the biggest cost. It's the procurement uh, of all the systems and installing the software and, and developing the software. Um, you know, and so I, I think to... The positive side of that is, um, you know, we are seeing a lot of modular software systems come online, and that's, you know, the, I talked about TAC having being a plug-in architecture. Um, I, I think that we need to continue to, to push modular systems so that it's not GOTS, COTS, FOSS. It's, hey, here's a product that does something. Put it in the stack or take it out. So just to maybe pick on uh, open drone, drone maps a little bit, I mean, um, you know, we could have a, a photogram photogrammetry process, we're pulling data from, say, Maxar, um, run it through a process, and it could be a pluggable uh, thing where it's open drone map for some users, and it's if somebody wants to pay for Pix4D, then it's Pix4D for other users. Maybe it does something that open drone map doesn't. Um, but just to be able to swap those software systems in and out, and again, whether it's COTS, GOTS, FOSS, whatever. Um, so these modular frameworks are working, uh, but there's still a lot of work to do there. Yeah, it's the... Interchange and the ability to swap, I think, is, I don't want to say it's more important than open source, but, you know, from a procedural standpoint, at least my experience on the governance side, the idea that I can take this thing and change it up for something else when there's something that's more suitable for purpose um, is huge. Or procurement is a thing. Sometimes <laughs> it's not the best thing, but it's the thing that's already authorized. Um, about uh, at Foster G in in Italy last year, um, had a conversation um, with a similarly structured organization NGO in this case, and there was a lot of emphasis on on the cost savings of free and open source. And and I said, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> As someone who benefits from budgets, um, I don't want to overemphasize that 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 characteristic of it. There are costs to doing the development and the deployment, and there are um, and that can be uh, 
internalized or externalized. Um, but really that, that question of can you, can you demo something quickly? Can you, um, can you uh, do you know that that's going to be around for the long term when you finally do go through the procurement process if, if that's necessary for what you're doing? I think these are some of the, some of the things that um, are often things that people overemphasize. not so much something that's wrong about how they're thinking about the software uh, and the process, but the opportunities are, um, are really, can you, can you do something without procurement um, in order to try something out? Is that, is that something that you can demo? Um, is it, can you take in uh, a component that you want to reuse uh, from some research someone's joined in your organization? You can do that quickly, and how do you make that happen? And I'm rambling, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. Good answer. Um, we got a few more questions. So the next question goes into data privacy, right? And that's something you always give with open source. People who are not fans of open source are like, oh, data, your stuff is not going to be secure. So how does, how do, how does do open source geospatial tool address concerns related to data, data privacy and protection? And are there policies and regulations in place that promote the adoption in government with projects? That's going to be, that's a whole, that's a good question. I'll start with you and William, this one. Okay. Um, so I think coming from the Census Bureau, you know, data privacy is huge. You know, that's one of our big missions is, you know, securing the data and the information of our respondents and the people of the United States. So um, I think in terms of open source geospatial tools, the one thing that really has benefited us is the ability to add in additional security scannings into our source code. Um, so we've been working really closely with our IT department and our Office of Information Security to make sure that we are implementing and including the most up-to-date and the most thorough um, security scannings in our application. You know, we have been entrusted to ensure this data, so we're trying to make sure it's done right. Um, one thing's in like kind of promoting the adoption of government projects. Um, the Census Bureau is uh, promoting a True North initiative, and really what that's doing is they want to move in the way of moving away from proprietary software and moving towards more open source. So I think it's really big coming from the census as a whole to say, hey, we, we understand and we see the benefits in, in open source, we're going to move this way. And I think with that comes with the addition and the adoption of additional security that goes into it. Um, so I think it's only going to get bigger, especially with what the census is doing, but I really do think that um, we're, we're only starting with what we're doing and what we're adding to our data privacy securities. Oh, I think I think David Carter already answered this uh, for me earlier in talking about the fact that you could have you could have a photogrammetry tool that you can't audit and you have a photogrammetry tool that you can, and that can be a critical uh, thing when you're, when you're looking at your, at your full tool, tool chain and making sure that you've got appropriate data security. Yeah, and from Jason, um, I'm trying to piece text of you again. Um, he, he was just saying that he loves the fact, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, he likes the fact that the open source of it because it allows you to see all the code and have access to the code and run stuff how you want to run it and add different modules and whatnot to assure you um, he gets it and complies to within NGA and or other agency standards. So that's his answer, Kyle. All right. <clears throat> um, the last question we have before we go into questions 
All right, so we're here now. We're, you know, every agency's doing it. Where do you see this, where do you see this, this, the role of open source geospatial tools evolving in the next five to 10 years? So what, what number is this up on Fidgeo Day? What number is this, 10? 10. So at 20, right? Where are we going to be at? And I'll start. I'll start. My to come on. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, the easy answer is just wider adoption for sure. Uh, I, I, I think us open source insurgents are, are winning the war. <laughs> um, but you know, we're seeing that really at the ground level. You know, with us open sourcing some of the TAC product line, uh, that was a pretty big deal for us. Um, you know, we're gonna have to continue with the governance side of it, uh, uh, and and you know, not just recommending that open source is is looked at, but maybe start to actually say no, you're gonna actually adopt these open source packages. And I think that that can be on the, the contractual side or the procurement side as well, where we um, just start to write into contracts that, you know, thou shalt use open source libraries where available. Um, so, I, yeah, I think there's still a lot of governance to do there. And I, I think we'll see it in the next five to 10 years. Um, I, I did want to take a little bit of time and say where I think we should go, but I, 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 I can't, can't see the future. So there's a, there's a couple of things where I, I think we, we need to expand some of our capabilities, um, not just with open source, but, but, you know, really across the whole paradigm. And that's uh, a lot to do with 3D. Um, so there's there's, there's obviously a pretty, pretty, pretty big groundswell with 3D data. Um, on our side, we've started to reach the upper limit uh, on the visualization side, uh, and I can get into that if we want. Um, but for us, it's really about the analytic sides of bringing 3D content into the uh, environment to be able to run analytics. So line of sight is no more, you know, DTED 30 or DTED, you know, two with 30 meter data. Uh, we need to be able to see if there's trees in the way, if there's buildings in the way. So we need high res data, 3D data to do that. Um, just to give you some examples. Um, the other thing is, is uh, uh, User experience. Um, so this is something. So so we deliver deliver the TAC product in four month uh, cycles. So every four months, there's a new TAC product out there. Um, we took one whole cycle last year to completely redo our user experience. Um, so I think that I would say that that's probably true with most of the open source capabilities that are out there. Um, not just the UI side of it. That's certainly important, but the user experience. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of finish on this. I, I asked my team, uh, how can open source support them? better in the next five to ten years and uh, one of my one of my guys is a marine uh, one of the guys I work with uh, is a marine uh, and he said how can how can we make GeoServer so easy to use that a crown eater uh, can <laughs> can can install it manage it and be able to disseminate data out to our end users uh, so so I think there's a lot to be said with uh, the user experience with a lot of the open source libraries and uh, software systems thank you yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think it's only going to get bigger. You know, one aspects of our um, GUPS contract is that um, open source software is used. So that's something we've been doing since 2015 in our application. You know, it's been open source since then, and we're only going to continue that as we move forward. Um, another thing, and this is bigger than the Census Bureau, but um, I was doing some research before I was preparing for this, and I saw that the White House had put out a request for information asking federal agencies as well as um, private sector on information about open source software security and memory safe um, programming languages. So <laughs> you're okay. <laughs> so um, I think. Exaggerate a little bit. 
he got excited. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think if it's coming from the White House, you know, it's something that we should pay attention to. So um, I only think it's going to get bigger from there. You know, there's an open software or open source software security initi initiative as well. So um, really, I, I, I think I agree with what was said before, and I think everyone up here would agree it's only going to get bigger. Yeah, I mean, I would say that a lot of hard work has already been done, at least at NGA. Um, you know, as far as you know, requesting new open source software, uh, it is in government speak, a pretty painless process. And so, you know, making that part easy, uh, making it easy to follow all the security rules makes it a lot easier to get things in the door and helps keep people motivated to actually use the software when it comes out the other side. Um, and as we start seeing, you know, these softwares being included in, you know, curriculums in high school and college, um, I think that we're going to start seeing more and more analysts and scientists coming and joining the workforce with these skills already, uh, which I think will make it that much easier. Um, as we now have, you know, people that have championed this software climbing the ranks, and they'll be the ones making the calls in hopefully five to ten years. So I feel like we've we sort of emerged as a as a highly connected world, and there's opportunities and challenges that come with that, and that's that's been my lifetime. But that's also been in a time where where frankly we have not had um, as strong as as well as well funded as well maintained as well uh, um, coordinated uh, governance globally. Um, and I see whether it's OpenStreetMap, whether it's free and open source software, whether it's you know name your name your open source thing. I think there's been a lot of development and opportunity in that space. And one of the things that I'm hoping to see in the next 10, 20, 40 years is additional government ownership of the ecosystems. Like, and, and by that I mean investment in exactly what's happening um, and and growth of so that so that. Um, Ooh, um, so that uh, I'm not ADHD at all. <laughs> um, so that we really see, um, so that we really see as as we're seeing now, as we continue to see things come out of not, not just you know what's the procurement, what's the process for bringing software in, but as we see software being started, developed, and disseminated out from government. Yeah, and I'll just add my two cents on this. I would love to see in the five, 10 years, you know, you get to work with a lot of different agencies and they're like, well, we were just told that we have to use Esri, right? And we were told to do that, that's what we're using. I would love the fact that, you know, I know so recently on some proposals and stuff that they were starting to do open source was open source, like geo servers, QGIS and all being used and be like, hey, this is something we're gonna include in this, right? So I would love in five, 10 years when we come back here, it becomes not just special thing, this has become the norm, right? If they want to use Esri, fine, if Esri is the solution, fine, use it. In if open source, QGIS, and Postgres, whatever, whatever, if that's the solution, use that and make that a part of the, the normal baseline. Not a one-off, not like, why are we doing like, yes, it's in there, right? So I would love to see that be involved more and more. So we're gonna go into Q&A. Does anybody have any questions? Questions? All right, yes, sir. Good polish. Just briefly, uh, can you speak to a customer support, user support with um, uh, open source of platform? Got the kitchen. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'd be to have your customer support and the support. 
I'm talking about just conventional tier one, tier two uh, for users. I can speak to that. I don't know about else. <laughs> no, I think that's on a program to program basis. I know one of the programs I support, they do have support for that, right? They had support set up to do tier one, tier two support for that for that capability. But to your point that until you get gets embedded into the agencies and stuff, it will be more, hopefully in five, 10 years, it'll be more and more. But usually, you know, if there's a problem with Geo server or something is going to like one person because that's the one person that can answer the question. But hopefully in the future, you know, the whole everybody will know how to answer these questions. Yeah, I know for us specifically, and I don't know if this is quite getting at your question, but uh, when we open source TAC, uh, put it up on uh, GitHub, there was a pretty much immediately there was a Discord server set up, uh, and so that's a lot of the open source, you know, non-DoD, non-federal government support that's out there. Is is now there's a Discord server where you can go ask questions, both development and then uh, use usage of the actual software itself. Um, so I think one of the things you see when you do open source is like the community then jumps in Azure. <laughs> as your, uh, you know, customer support team. Um, and so we, we now track this Discord server because we learned things there too. All right, I think you had a question also? Look. Oh, yeah, go, please. <laughs> I'm going all the way to the back, so you know, it takes a minute to walk back here, so. I have three questions, All right. and my first question would be for Amanda, because you happen to mention um, the software would need to be in the hands of um, high schoolers or or uh, my college I will uh, college students. I would like to can you please um, give us some names of that software that would need to be in the hands of those college students, seeing how I work in high school. Sure. Um, so. Uh, working with, there actually were some high school interns that were pretty impressive. I'm probably outliers for the average high school student, but I mean, they were using GIS software, they were trading machine learning algorithms. So this was actually, I was very impressed at, you know, learning, you know, Postgres, uh, PostGIS, and, you know, GIS software like QGIS uh, to be able to, you know, actually you know, produce results. Uh, he specifically was looking at drone imagery, which. Okay, so. thank you. And my next question is for Emily. Emily, you happen to mention um, that the, there's an initiative with the government on open, so, open source software security initiative. Could you give us some more, a bit of information about if there's a website? Um, just a little bit more information on that, please. Sure, and I got it in my notes. Um, yeah, so in pre prepping for this panel, you know, I found out that um, it, it's good to not be alone in terms of open source. So um, one of the things that I saw in my research was a policy coming out from the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, so that's C-I-S-A, um, and they released an open source software security map, um, basically recognizing the benefits of open source software and voiced their support. Um, and in that article, it pointed me in a lot of different directions about um, the White House National Security Strategy, as well as the National Cybersecurity Strategy Implementation Plan, and all of those point to these open source initiatives and security in initiatives that they 
have. Um, and then I know the other thing that I mentioned was the, the White House executive order, or the request for information. Um, but if you want to talk to me after this, I can point you in better directions. It's hard. I don't have like the URL on hand, but I can point you in the direct direction. Okay, and the, the next question, I just couldn't remember if it was Stephen or Nathan that happened to mention um, about the need for high-resolution data and how to leverage that with the um, cloud. Could you please give um, uh, more details? So um, a little bit of bias ex exposed in that, in that example um, because I run a project that helps you take uh, local imagery and turn it into high resolution data. Um, but I think one gap that we have is where do we need to get, where do we need data and how do we task that? So at a global scale, you know, um, how do you how do you figure out how, where you need to collect the, the high resolution data? So you can fly a small uncrewed aircraft, um, collect a bunch of images, process it through some photogrammetry software, and get elevation models and and uh, orthophotos from above um, and three dimensional models as well. Well, um, but the question is, where do you need to do that? And that's, that's I think, uh, an, a, an, a space that needs more explore, exploration. Uh-huh. All right. I've been told we are out of time. We are out of time. All our panelists should be floating around here. If you want to find them and ask some more questions, I, I recommend that you guys do. I want to thank you guys all for doing this panel with me. Thank you very much. And see you guys around.